Let's read from God's Word. And today we're reading from Ezekiel chapter 37, which is on page 868 in the Church Bibles. Ezekiel chapter 37. This is Ezekiel, the prophet, speaking. The hand of the Lord is upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me to and fro among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you, and make flesh come upon you, and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh (coughs) appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. O my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. And I have done it, declares the Lord. And we're not finished yet. (laughs) The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, take a stick of wood and write on it, belonging to Judah and the Israelites associated with, with him. Then take another stick and write on it, Ephraim's stick, belonging to Joseph and all the house of Israel associated with him. 
Join them together into one stick so that they will become one in your hand. When your countrymen ask you, won't you tell us what you mean by this? Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am going to take the stick of Joseph, which is in Ephraim's hand, and of the Israelite tribes associated with him, and join it to Judah's stick, making them a single stick of wood, and they will become one in my hand. Hold before their eyes the sticks you have written on and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will take the Israelites out of the nations where they have gone. I will gather them from all around and bring them back into their own land. I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. There will be one king over all of them, and they will never again be two nations or be divided into two kingdoms. They will no longer defile themselves with their idols and vile images or with any of their offenses, for I will save them from all their sinful backsliding, and I will cleanse them. They will be my people, and I will be their God. My servant David will be king over them, and they will all have one shepherd. They will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever, and David, my servant, will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers, and I will put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Then the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. A very good morning. My name is David. Good morning, Gail. <laughs> and welcome, uh, welcome and well done for being here. Um, the snow has decimated us, but we're here. And, um, and therefore, we need to fill this place with our songs and we're present. So afterwards, see when we're having tea and coffee afterwards, catch up with people. Um, encourage one another. Scripture talks about that, about, um, you know, encouraging one another with spiritual conversations. So even if you've not seen someone for a while or the people from, oh, I can't remember where, one from down south and three from Scotland, one couple from down south, three from Scotland, catch up with people at the end, encourage one another. And, uh, and there's going to be lots of cake, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> lots and lots of cake. So Ezekiel, uh, glory ravaged and therefore after God has come and His will has been done, glory is revealed. We are in, I think, I think week five, maybe week six, but I think week five. I'd rather get another two or three after this, or three or four. Anyway, we're halfway through uh, Ezekiel, and with this passage in particular, it can feel that we're getting to familiar territory, you know, uh, the valley of the dry bones. Uh, but then thank you, Ian, for saying we're not finished, because then there's a most unfamiliar for some of us part afterwards about sticks and princes and, 
and God's Spirit and, and all sorts of things in relation to Israel being spoken there. And I will confess right from the get-go that some of the theology with this that I'm still working through in my mind. I know that Jesus has come, and as he says, when the Father says it's the right time, Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead, and every knee will bow and recognize his lordship. Everyone will recognize that he is the savior of the world, and there will be a time of reckoning, and, and then after that, there will be the new heavens and the new earth. And this is Ezekiel. And we, we discovered in week one that many people think that he was psychotic, uh, possibly on hallucinative drugs, if that's the right word, hallucinogenic drugs. Uh, Ezekiel tried to describe the best he could what he saw before him. And the physical, he was given a glimpse of the glory of God the likeness of the glory of God, if memory serves me right. And he did his best to put that down there. And it was all uh, angelic beings with four faces and numerous wings and eyes and all sorts of things. And the glory of the Lord. And so we come to this part. Um, and this is a significant part and, and it's a turning point, as it were, in the book of Ezekiel, where God... Um, meets his people when all hope is gone, where God comes to his people. Remember, I think it's in verse 10 of Ezekiel, that the glory of the Lord departs from the temple and goes into exile with the remnant because God loves to dwell with his people. The temple could never contain him anyway. We know that. Scripture speaks of that. And yet God goes where the people are by the rivers of Babylon where we sat. And we remembered Zion. And we remember the glory of Zion. And, and we remember all of the times where we gathered before the Lord at the temple. They sat there and lamented, but God goes there to be with them. And we come now to the Valley of Dry Bones and one nation under one king in Ezekiel chapter 37. And before I flip to the next slide, I'm just going to pray. And ask our Father who is in heaven, I pray in the name of your Son and by the power of your Spirit that we would have ears to hear and the heart which is open. If this is the first time in years we've sat under your word, or whether we uh, daily sit under your word and your Lordship, I pray, Father, that we would not miss the opportunity of hearing what you have to say to us just now. We desire to the best of our ability, Lord, to open up our lives and say, your kingdom come, your will be done. So may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. You are the redeemer. You're the rock. May your will be done in Christ's name. Amen. Ah, promise of God. So I'm not going to keep any secrets from you and everything that I'm, well, <laughs> it's not true. Some of the things I'm going to say are up here. For those who are visiting, I've got a habit of going off piste. So, um, but we've got plenty of time for that. So, here's some of the things that I think we're going to touch on just now. And, and I always like you to keep your Bibles open if you can, or your smartphones, or your iPads, or whatever it may be. 
um, because I am going to be referring um, to the things before us, rather than just, <clears throat> well, hopefully not to take out the context, I want to try and speak in the context of the word of the Lord that came to Ezekiel where he was. So before us, we have a battlefield, a great army that is slain. There are no bodies, there are just bones, and in those bones there's a multitude of bones, dry as dust as if they have been left out in the sun for years and years and years. They are bleached, they are unidentifiable. It's a place of anonymity. It's a place of non-personhood. They are bones. They are not bodies. And because of the way in which Ezekiel finds them, it's an accursed place. Because here are people who once were and have not been given the dignity of being buried. They have just been left for the wild beasts to tear them apart, to scavenge on them, and for their very nakedness, and even more so, to be exposed to anyone who may come about because they have been ab abandoned. And for Ezekiel, a priest in the making, he trained all his years to become a priest, and just about the time where he was going to go to the temple, for the first time he was taken into exile, but yet his calling is a, a, of a priest and a prophet, and for him, this site, this place is a disgrace. It's a horrible place, a defiled place to be. And yet, even in that place where he did not want to be, it was an offense to his eyes, to spirituality, to his senses. Even in that place, Ezekiel wasn't alone. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out of the, by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. God was with him. It's one of those day excursions that God eh, seems to specialize in when it comes to his people and his prophets and his leaders and giving them a glimpse, a, a special word that may be passed on to all for their encouragement. And as Ezekiel surveys this disordered, unrecognizable scene, and before he gets to utter a single word to the Lord, God asks this man of God. Son of man, verse 3, can these bones live? Son of man, can pigs fly? Could have been asking just that. It was a strange question. And yet, despite how absurd it was, Ezekiel the priest knows God, and he knows God as the living God. Ezekiel knows that this valley, this valley of death and of dryness and of hopelessness, Ezekiel knows that this is the type of valley that God excels in. God specializes in this stuff. Creatio ex nihilo. 
a Latin phrase that means he is the maker of something out of nothing. In the beginning, God spoke something into being out of nothing. He did not work with some putty or something that pre-existed. By his word, by his will and word, he decided this would be and out of nothing, something quite incredible was created. And Ezekiel knows this God. He is the God who comes onto the pitch as it were and does things to change the situation that no one else can, the super sub, and no one would even imagine would be possible. Ezekiel knows this. He also knows that God and the foundation of his character is love. He is loving. He is the covenant-making and the covenant-keeping God. Ezekiel knows in this valley of death and despair, Ezekiel knows that God's promises are yes and amen, and that God loves mercy and he responds to the people's cries. Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Ezekiel knows that God is kind. Ezekiel knows that God is compassionate. And no matter what has gone before, how far he or the people of God has gone, Ezekiel knows that God knows everything anyway. And that even in that all-knowing, omnipotent being or, or nature or place where God is, that God is merciful even there. A bruised reed he will not break. So the deeper the abyss, the greater the mercy of God. The darker the night, the brighter the light of God will shine. And where sin increases, even today, even among us, how much more will grace abound? May it be so among God's people. May God shorten the days we walk in the valley of the shadow of death. For those who grieve, for those who feel that the, the end of the rope, for those who feel disappointed and even hatred for themselves, for those who are so sore and feel so far off, may his rod and his staff comfort us and may he shorten those days where we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Because God is merciful and Ezekiel knew this. And Ezekiel responds in verse 3 by saying, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Ezekiel knew God even in this place. And at this point, where the God has Ezekiel in this great valley, where there seems to be nothing but destruction and death and hopelessness, God commands Ezekiel in verse 4, prophesy to these uh, bones. Ezekiel had a choice. And in our choice, where God gives us free will, our choices 
are this. We can either sit in the fence. We can sit in the fence, get a skillful bum, no, really knowing what we think about Jesus one way or another, hedging our bets, being lukewarm or whatever it is, be a church person and not be someone who bows the knee before Christ and asks for forgiveness of sins and then is filled with the Holy Spirit having been redeemed and restored. Or we can just choose to hedge our bets. Whatever. We've got the choice. God gives us that choice of free will. Or we can decide as God commands us we can decide to follow him, as Jesus says in, in Matthew 4. He says, eh, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. Or, for those of us who have accepted that, there is a, the further choice to abide in him. My sister was instrumental in me coming to faith. An inspiration to me. My sister today does not follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I challenge her on it all the time, as only a wee brother can get away with. But she has not abided in Christ. There are reasons for that. But even when life was so tough for my sister, and it was extremely tough, she still had the choice to say, Lord, I'm cut off, have mercy on me but the troubles of the world cause her to just abandon her faith. Possibly not faith in God, but probably faith in herself. And we here have that choice as disciples to abide in Christ. We have that choice that Jesus says in, in John 15, abide in me so that I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine and neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. We all, we all have a choice. It's, it's free will. We either, we may not want to put it in those terms, but in biblical terms, it's either obedience or disobedience. I'm not making this up. I'm just, <laughs> it is what scripture says. If you still are sitting in that fence, you're really not sure. The alpha team made the decision that in September we're going to run Alpha again over an escape route. And for those of you who didn't get the joy of, of bringing someone along, those 10 or 11 people who came along this time, and it's, it's finishing tonight, Alpha, then maybe September you will get that experience of bringing someone along. Or maybe you think, I need to go to my Alpha myself. I've just not made a decision about Jesus. And I need to work out before I'm, so that I can make a choice. And you have that free will choice. But Ezekiel was obedient to God's command. And what did he do? He preached to the dead. He preached gospel, good news, life, the word of the Lord. What God had commanded him to preach unequivocally. He did just that. He was obedient. Now, do me a wee favour just to keep you awake. Take your pinky. Let me see those pink eyes. And go like that. <laughs> and in there you will feel that you have bones in your ears. But bones don't have ears. 
and Ezekiel was to speak in life into the bones and they responded to the Lord. Verse 7 and 8 describes that. And obedience. Doc Kennedy, have I got my, my biology right there? Yes, thank you. So I prophesied. <laughs> Told you I'd go off piece of you better. So I, verse 7, so I prophesied. And as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared in them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. So the foot bones attached to the heel bone, nearly. The heel bones attached to the who says knee bone? <laughs> Ankle bones are short like. So the foot bones attached to the heel bone. The heel bones attached to the ankle bone. The ankle bones attached to the would it be shin. Would it be leg shin? Who says leg? What medical people say shin? <laughs> right, leg bone. The leg bone's connected to the knee bone. The knee bone's connected to the thigh bone. And the thigh bone's connected to the hip bone's connected to the backbone. Backbone's connected to the shoulder, shoulder bone. Shoulder bone's connected to the we'll go for that. Neck bone's connected to the head bone. Correct, correct. We've got audience participation. <laughs> Tendon, flesh, skin, but still no life. Still no life because in verse 8, as we just read there, there was no breath in them. No breath means no life, for that we have no life in ourselves apart from the life, apart from the breath that God gives us. The Ruach, the Spirit of the Lord, God has given us that. And God commands Ezekiel in verse Nine. Am I still in the same verse? I can't. Ah, yeah, it's still there. He commands him in, in verse nine. Prophesy to the breath and prophesy this. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the Ruach, the Spirit of God. And breath entered them and they came to life. So no matter how hopeless our situation or we may feel that we are. And today, two people have told me God stories. One, that they're free of depression, free of medication and depression. And the second, what they have a job and that they've held down a job for two weeks. That is hope. You can quite easily see where people get into a hopeless situation. And, and, and those are two ordinary, everyday things. How can that relationship ever be repaired? Hope in the Lord. Cry out to the Lord, I've been cut off. This relationship is cut off. Lord, bring life into that in my life which is dead, into these relationships that are dead. So no matter how we feel, how hopeless things are cut off, how lifeless or dry, God says in verse 12, O oh my people, I am going to open up your graves and I'm going to bring you up from them. I'm going to bring you up from the place of death and dryness and despair and hopelessness. And then in verse 14, God says, and I will put my spirit in you and you will live God's breath, God's spirit. In this very short passages, there is 10 references 
to the Spirit, to the breath, to the Ruach, the Holy Spirit of God. And that Spirit is more powerful than anything that's been dry for years, that's been bleached, that's been dead. Because God's love and God's power and God's promises are stronger than death. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Because God's mercy, I believe, triumphs. His judgments undoubtedly are true, but His mercy triumphs. And ultimately, we see this in the life, the life-giving, redeeming life of Jesus Christ, His death on the cross at Calvary, and His resurrection from the grave. And He holds the keys to life and death. So Ezekiel was obedient to God's commandment and, and speaking out and also in calling in the Holy Spirit and gospel living. And what was the context? Ezekiel, uh, this is no myth. This is a historical fact which we're, we're, we're reading off here. And, and it's not a fairyland. Ezekiel's prophecy was directed specifically to verse 11. It says, the whole house of Israel. Yeah. I'm going to come to all that in a minute. Actually, till now, when I've read some verses, like in verse 12 and 14 in particular, I think, maybe verse 19, I've specifically left out references to the land. I, I wanted to speak in territory that we are comfortable with, new life, resurrection, as it were. Um, but the idea of physical resurrection was not prominent in the Old Testament. You know what I mean by that? Jesus rose from the grave. Touch my wounds, Thomas. He ate with them. That's why it was such an incredible thing, a physical resurrection. That's why you have the Sadducees referenced, being referenced as being they did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. When Israel, up, there's maybe a reference in Daniel which is slightly after Ezekiel, but when Israel speaks of or thinks of resurrection, they think of being taken from where they are and being placed in the land that God has promised them, God, where, where God's temple is, and where the king, king such as the king of David, would reign and rule over them forever, and there would be peace and prosperity, and their numbers would increase. So, we think of resurrection physical, and that's understandable, but for those from a Jewish background, and certainly, without a shadow of a doubt, all of this up until the time of Ezekiel, when God was doing a new thing, it would ultimately mean that he would bring them back to the land that he promised to Jacob and that there would be a king over them. There would be the temple where God's presence would be with them and they would live a prosperous and peaceful life. So resurrection and land in Ezekiel's context are married. But God's people are far, far, far from the land. The temple has been destroyed. Everything that Solomon raised up in all its glory and splendor is no more. Those that are left behind are the poorest of the poor. 
all of the cream of the crop are now refugees by the Kebar River and by the rivers of Babylon, as Ezekiel the prophet and Daniel, etc., are. So you can understand if they ask the question, can God really change this? Can God really redeem this awful excuse for a life? Oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. You alone know, God, if you can transform this misery that I'm living through. Once there was hope, but now there is no more. Once they had an element of control and that they had huge walls protecting the city, but even now that has gone, leaving only defilement, they've got no name, and death. And it's at this moment for them, and I think even for some of us, where we are hopeless, when we have no control, that's when God moves. That's when God says, right, now is the time. For my name will be known among them as the merciful, powerful God. And they will tell others about what, we have, what I have done for them. And verse 12, I'm going to open up your graves and bring you up from them, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. 14, I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in the land. And not only that, verse 19, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I'm going to take the stick of Joseph, which is in Ephraim's hand, and of the Israelite tribes associated with them, and join it to Judah's stick, making them a single stick of wood, and they will become one in my hand. About 600 BC, there was revival in the southern kingdom under King Asa. And it says in two chronicles of that time, King Asa assembled all of Judah and Benjamin, which are the two southern tribes, and the people from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon in the north, who had settled among them in the south for large numbers had come over, or came, came from north to south, had come over to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. In other words, people from the north in about 900 BC, which is 108 years before Israel in the north, the ten tribes were decimated forever, a remnant of faithful people from the north came south to settle. They were still uh, Ephraimites. They were still from Manasseh and, and all of that. So they were still from the tribal north, but they, they were domiciled. They, they lived in the tribal south. And then in 720 BC, we have the Assyrian captivity where the, the ten tribes known as, as Ephraim, known as Israel, were taken away gone and just um, blended into that Assyrian captivity because they ignored the prophetic warnings of Hosea and Amos. And then we have here in 585-586 this Babylonian captivity where everything good from the south, which was the, 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 the Benjamites, and those from Judah, the, the Judahites, I think it is, were taken away into exile. But not only them, some remnant from the north, from Benjamin, not from Benjamin, from Ephraim, and uh, from Manasseh, and from Simeon. So that is the historical context that we have there just now. And into that, 
I want to just finish some thoughts on this two sticks prophecy. Ezekiel likes street theatre, and this is a part of street theatre. I wish I'd brought a couple of sticks, but I have not. I think there's two aspects of it, but I add in another. There is no Jew, nor Gentile, male, female, Greeks, blah, 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 barbarian, um, free man, whatever the scripture is, but you know what I'm talking about, because we, it's not that ethnic background that qualifies us to receive the grace of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in here, we've got Filipino, we have got English, Scottish, um, Czech, uh, Dutch, Finnish, Australian, Yorkshire. So that aside, which is comfortable territory for us, we know that, that we all come under the, the Lordship of Jesus Christ and that he is bringing together all of the nations to him. But yet here I see three possibilities, and this is slightly unfamiliar territory to me, but I feel it's right to speak of it. Judah and the faithful. So what are the possibility of what is happening with the, these two sticks? takes one stick, puts it there, takes another stick, puts it there. He calls that the north and he calls that the south. Ephraim and, and, and Judah, or Israel and Judah, and he goes like that. And in a prophetic sign of street theater, he says, and they will be one. Remember, it's decimated as a valley of dry bones, hopelessness, despair, and they've no name. They're part of the Babylonian eh, conquest. And God says, even in the midst of this, this is where I'm, uh, this is where I'm good at my game. This is where I come on as a super sub. And he says, I'm going to make them one. And he speaks specifically to uh, the people Israel. And I think, first of all, God is saying, Judah and the faithful north will return as they did do through the campaign of Nehemiah and the, uh, the leader and the priest uh, Ezra. And what did they come back as? They didn't come back as the people of Judah. They came back for the first time, and we see this in Esther as well, known as Jews, a one ethnic group, a remnant from the ten tribes of the, the north and from the two tribes of the south. And it's highlighted in Ezra's uh, genealogy in 2 Chronicles, if you want to note that down and look it up. They came back as one the, the Hebrews at this point all came back known as the Jews. Esther and Mordecai were Benjamites, and yet in that book, all the tribes were called Jews. There was no tribal distinction. God says, I am going to take the one stick of Joseph, join it to the stick of Judah, and make them a single stick of wood. Two sticks becoming one. I think that's the first prophetic a thing that's a possibility that's happening with this bit of street theater. Second, and briefly, during the, the second temple period, which is Jesus' time, in the north in Galilee, it was controlled by the Herodians, uh, the, the descendants of Herod the Great. And in the south in Judah, it was controlled by, by Pilate. There was two separate governing structures 
And yet, in AD 70, it was all destroyed. Completely and utterly destroyed. And once again, God's people were scattered out into the nations. However, in 1948, we have the birth of the modern state of Israel. For the first time, the Jews were back in the land that was promised to them. Verse 21, 22. I will take the Israelites out of the nations where they have gone. I will gather them from all around and bring them back to the land. I will make them one nation in the land and on the mountain of Israel. Two sticks become one. And I appreciate that for some, that idea of Israel back in the land is a difficult thing because there are a lot of atrocities that that are happening there as well on both sides. And yet I can't see any other explanation for that. I can see that act of 1948 being a prophetic act of the Lord as well. And thirdly, in the Old Testament, the Jews had various pictures of what the Messiah would be or who he would be like, and particularly too, you had the Messiah, the, the son of Joseph, who was the suffering servant. And remember, Joseph, Ephraim, Israel, that, that's synonymous. Basically the north. And you have the Messiah, the son of David, who was from the tribe of Judah. And here we read something, I think, yet to be fulfilled in Ezekiel's prophecy. And I'd like to read that out and just let the scripture settle down. There will be one king. And you may need to remember this. I says at the beginning, you know, God is bringing all the nations together into one tribe, as it were. But this prophecy is spoken specifically to the people of Israel as a context. And so it's with that I feel compelled to stick to that in particular. So have in your mind Israel here. There will be one king over them all, and they will never again be two nations or be divided into two kingdoms. They will no longer defile themselves with their idols and vile images or with any other offenses, for I will save them from all their sinful backsliding, and I will cleanse them. They will be my people, and I will be their God. My servant David will be king over them, and they will all have one shepherd. They will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers, and I will put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. So when Jesus returns, the Jews, and it seems as an ethnic nation, one nation, Messianic Jews, are those in the last days who come to recognize Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah, the son of Joseph and the son of David. They will recognize Jesus as the promised Messiah in unity. The two sticks will become one again. He will be their king as David was their king, the greatest of the Israelite kings. 
they're the temple, and we know we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, but the, the Holy Spirit will dwell with them and they will be in the land and they will increase in number. Two sticks become one. So I'm going to leave those thoughts. I was going to do some more, but I'm not going to. Um, and I like to come to this part to say, so what? What now? I've enjoyed wrestling with this two sticks in the context of the dry bones. To see how God has already done incredible things for his chosen people. And we are the children of God, but they are his chosen people. And God has done incredible things already. When I was reading Spurgeon, I don't often read Spurgeon's commentaries, but when I was reading Spurgeon's commentary on this, he, and he, he wrote obviously before the formation of Israel in 1948, he says, and we look forward to the day, as this prophecy quite clearly tells us, when the Jews will be back in the promised land. He lived in a time when they were not there. They were scattered all over. And so it's in that context I've enjoyed just seeing how God does something quite miraculous quite unexpected and, 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 and he's true to his promises to a people who are sitting by the rivers of Babylon lamenting. So for us, what situations have we got that are any greater than that they had? And we do, we, we have grief, but yet we don't grieve as everyone else because we have a living hope in Jesus Christ. And hope is everything, both for now and forever. So I ask you to pause for one second before I finish, before I finish. And don't let that thought skip by. Some people in here are grieving greatly. Some people in here are, are hanging on by a thread. Some people become cynical and therefore may be hard in their heart towards God doing a miracle. And I ask you to think about that and just hold on to that thought because it's real. It's not a fairyland experience. It's not a myth what you're going through. And with that, think about what God promised Ezekiel and what God so far has accomplished. There is hope if we would but bow our knees before him if we would trust and hope, because we are not without hope at all. It keeps us alive. It keeps us in faith. It keeps trusting. Even though we know what the Valley of Dry Bones is all about, it's actually there we can discover real hope and real life. The valley where our God is seen as the miracle-making God. And it may not happen right away as it didn't for Israel. But his promises are yes and amen. And he can even bring two sticks and make them one. So God will bring about his purposes by the power of his Holy Spirit and through his son Jesus. And Jesus is coming soon. So cast all your cares on him. Our bones are dried and our hope is gone and we are cut off. And God knows that. And God cares. And God is merciful. Because I'm going to open up your graves and I'm going to bring you up from them. And I'm going to put my spirit in you and you will live. And God's people will know peace in the land under the lordship of the Messiah. And God's children will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Shall we pray together?
I believe, help me in my unbelief. Dear Lord, to trust in you all the days of my life, dear Lord. To cast all my cares in you, dear Lord. I thank you for what you have done for us. I thank you for what you have done for your people, Israel. I pray that we would not box you in and limit where our faith will go. Increase our faith. Help us to exercise faith in our choices that we make in regards to Jesus now. And be merciful to us, Lord. As we leave this place, be merciful to us. I pray you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. And that you would restore the joy of our salvation and that you would renew a right spirit within us. And I pray, Lord, that the nations will know that you make Israel holy and that your sanctuary would dwell with your people forever. In the name of Jesus, your Son, the Savior of the world, and by your Spirit we pray. Amen. Amen.